Today on CityCast Denver, the Tay Anderson saga continues. Me and Bree are talking about the student walkouts, Tay's response, and trying our best to have an honest conversation about what was in the investigator's report. Plus, did you know Bree has a PhD in retail history? Not really, but maybe someday? Today is Friday, September 24th, 2021. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city with a even more hotly contested breakfast burrito scene than I even realized. Been listening to your voicemails all week. Oh my God. I don't think there's a single overlap. Uh, but I'm here with our host, Bree Davies. Bree. Hi, Paul. Should we talk a little bit of breakfast burrito stuff just to tease the listeners about the upcoming uh, yeah. event? Like you said, we've gotten a lot of calls of recommendations of people's favorite breakfast burritos. And um, I'll be honest with you, um, I've just always been a Santiago's person. And so knowing that there's all these other spots that uh, have awesome breakfast burritos, I'm super stoked for this challenge that we're going to do. Yeah, I want to eat it, all of them, but it would kill me. I know, that's the other <laughs> problem though is i'm like there's gonna be a limit i mean i remember when we did our burger crawl by the fourth burger which was shake shack which was phenomenal we were all like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> like so i wonder how far we're gonna get through our burritos but we're gonna try to be champs about it because this is this is this is good stuff yeah yeah for sure and listeners there's still time we haven't recorded yet and we're still figuring out exactly where we want to try so if you have strong feelings about a breakfast burrito that you want us to consider when we pick the best in the city call our new voicemail line and leave us a message with your name and neighborhood that number is 720-500-5418 I'm going to put that in the show notes for this episode, but please call. Leave us a message. We want to hear from you. We don't want your fave to be left out. (sighs) Shall we get into the show, Bree? Yep. We're going to talk Tay Anderson. Probably the biggest news of the week, for sure. Biggest news of the week, for sure. We did an episode about it on Monday, and it's just kept going. Yeah. Just more and more keeps happening, and there's so much to unpack with this thing. So complicated. And also, I feel like we made the case on Monday, like, has a big impact on the city. This is not just a a political scandal. This is a person who has made a lot of real changes for DPS, but also for the city at large in the last few years. So, Bree, could we start by just quickly uh, summing up where where we've been, where we've, where this case is at? Sure. Last week... The independent investigation firm that DPS hired to investigate claims against Tay Anderson came out with this 96-page report on their findings. Um, Tay got a hold of it, I think, a day before the school board did, not much longer. He didn't have a ton of time either to look through it before. And then Mm -hmm. the school board had a day or two before they made a ruling, which is where they decided based on the investigation, which was... So there was the claim of 62 students who were sexually assaulted by Tay Anderson. Those That was proven to be unfounded by this investigation. Sure. Unsubstantiated. Unsubstantiated. And then the other things included in that investigation were some communication that Tay had with a student who he mm-hmm. 
later found out was uh, 16 and at that point did stop talking to her but has acknowledged going forward that that was inappropriate of him in the first place to engage in that conversation with a student Um, and then there was also some issues with memes that he had posted on Facebook that some board members interpreted as threats towards people based on the meme content and then and of course, the initial allegation from March, which was right. published by the Black Lives Matter 5280 group, where it was just one one woman who was anonymous at the time, um, alleging that uh, school board director Tay Anderson sexually assaulted her. And that was also unsubstantiated in this report. Yeah. So uh, after the report comes out and they have time to look at it, the... Last Friday, the school board voted six to one to censure Anderson, which basically means reprimand him publicly because the board itself cannot, if it chose to, make a move to remove him from the board. It is an elected position and that would require a recall from constituency. Yeah, I was actually, before we even move on, I was looking back at that, the the record of that meeting, just to see like how the other directors were talking about that, whether or not they even would have been interested in removing him. And um, I couldn't find specifics except for Jennifer Bacon, who said that she wasn't, she wouldn't have wanted him to to resign. Mm. She wasn't calling for that. She was hoping for uh, restorative justice, another key word in this whole situation. That's an interesting point, too, because that hasn't been talked about. It's just basically said if the school board wanted to remove him, they couldn't. But you're right. Did they want to? Sounds like maybe not. At least not her. Yeah. And then Monday morning... Hundreds of students walked out of Denver public schools across the city in protest of Tay Anderson remaining on the board. From what I read from the news coverage, uh, students were upset by his behavior. Um, that was detailed in this investigation in this report, and they felt unsafe with someone um, on the board who had been accused of, and in some senses, the things that he was, the things that he admitted to doing. Well, he did it. He did admit to these things. the The cases of him like texting a sixteen year old yes. while a member of the board or while running for a board. There were two text message exchanges that he actually like screenshotted and gave to the investigators. I was just looking at this this morning, but he admitted to all this. He came out with this and was pretty upfront about it. He acknowledged that he made a mistake texting this one underaged girl, Mm -hmm. a student at DPS. And then there's this other young woman who I think was 17 at the time. He was 20. He was a school board director and he was coming on to her and she wasn't a DPS student, but she was a high school student, and he's a school board director. Yeah, and I, I think that's an important part of this conversation because he is young. He's younger than anybody else on the board. He's 23 right now. Um, so not to say that these students are in his quote-unquote age bracket. That's not necessarily the, the issue so much. It is the, with the 16-year-old for sure, but it's the fact that he's in a position of power too. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's mm-hmm. when you take on that role, you have to realize, you you know, your behavior is 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 being watched for good reason. You're representing students. You're working with younger people. Age appropriateness and just power dynamics are a big part of this story. Um, yeah. So students walked out Monday. Uh, was that the night that 
Tay had the press conference or was it the following day? No, it was definitely that day because I remember I, I did not know those walkouts were going to happen. I was very surprised. I mean, seeing hundreds of students walking around downtown protesting outside the DPS headquarters. Yeah, powerful. Uh, it was very powerful. And uh, at that point, I mean, we were communicating a little bit about it because Tay had been saying that he was going to make do a, a press conference that evening. And uh, at that point, I thought he was going to resign for sure. I mean, all those students coming together, walking out of schools, that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of like, that's the language that he speaks. Mm-hmm. Like the, the world of protest, that's where he comes from. Yeah. Um, I thought that was going to be persuasive. He was going to step down. But then that night... He gets up in front of a small group of reporters and supporters at Brother Jeff's Cultural Center and gives a very short, very defiant speech. Not only is he not going to step down, but he's, he's got, says he's got a lot of work to do. There are 90,000 students and families depending on not just me, not just a school board, but on a community that can grow and move forward. Past, the, past this and setting aside our own political agendas and rhetoric, and doing the actual advocacy and work that is, only, that is not only necessary, but critical to a thriving student body, and that can be successful in their educational careers. What was, what was your response to that, um, to that speech? I was surprised on the one hand, like you're saying, based on the student reaction and his connection to protest and seeing how that powerful that can be and then deciding that's not what he wanted to do. Um, but I also was not surprised um, based on... Tay's sort of presence in the community as a really powerful person that doesn't back down. And I say powerful because like he's done a lot in the in through activism before and before his role, before he had this official role on the school board, he was organizing protests around police violence, gentrification, issues in the city. He's been a vocal young person. And so um in that sense, I was not surprised that he takes this role very seriously. But um, yeah, I have conflicted feelings about it, to be honest with you. Thinking about myself as a young DPS student um, who was active in that similar similar way around human rights issues and things in the 90s, I think I probably would have been a student that walked out as well. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask. You think yeah, so? Absolutely. 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 I think um, now as an adult, I see a little bit of a different picture of what's going on here, but I totally see where the students are coming from. See, for me, when I was in high school, this is like exactly the thing that I would not have paid attention to, not cared about, been maybe a little irritated by, or like walked out as an excuse to like go to Chipotle. Oh, totally. I mean, like, look, this is high school. I get that too. (laughs) Like, yeah. So, but I thought it was a powerful statement from the students themselves mm-hmm. um, and their awareness of what the school board d- had, the power that the school board, the school board dictates a lot of what happens in DPS. And so I can see where they were coming from. Let's talk about Tay's defiance for a second. Because um, he's he's had a difficult year, I think. I mean, he's yeah. he's done a lot of this stuff to himself. He's put himself in this situation. Uh, but not entirely no he's been harassed online outside of this conversation there's a gentleman whose name i will not use because he is looking for notoriety has has tirelessly attacked tay online um 
to the point where Tay felt very unsafe. He mentioned that several times online. And other folks mm-hmm. um, around Tay have mentioned it too. Like people were just kind of watching it. This is the the horrible part about online harassment is there's an entire audience to watch it happen to you. And most times people don't step in and help. And a lot of times people don't know how. But I just, I want to, I want to acknowledge that, that he's, he's been through some stuff this year. And the most serious allegations that were found to be unsubstantiated. Like this is what's been looming over him for months now is there is a person. She's identified as reporter one in the investigator's report. Her name is Mary Catherine Brooks Fleming. She goes by protest mom online. We learned from the report last week that not only did she allege that 62 DPS students had been sexually assaulted by Tay in testimony at the Colorado State Capitol, but she was also the source of the initial allegation that was passed on by Black Lives Matter 5280. Yeah. It all comes back to her. We have to talk about Mary Catherine Brooks Fleming and her role in this. It's so suspect to me. I'm sorry. It's suspect. One white woman, um, older white woman in in terms of like it, in relation to Tay's age, coming forward mm-hmm. and not only coming forward with these allegations, really doing this like calculated campaign online to get folks um, riled up, which it did. Um, she was six. Suc- she was successful worked. in that. Um, a lot of folks calling him things that he is not. Again, the report found that those most serious allegations were unsubstantiated, and that was where his defiance came from, and I don't blame him for that. There's this huge chasm between the things that he was accused of, the types, the level of, of like, not seriousness, but somebody talking to a young person inappropriately in text messages, finding out how old they are, and stopping is one thing. Mm-hmm. sexually assaulting over 60 people oh my gosh totally other thing i mean these are not you can't they're not the same weight so the fact that he was cleared of the, the more serious things is i think why he was so defiant about it but this woman just would not back down and um i this is where the the di- the racial dynamic to me is very clear for young yeah a young yeah. black man um, and a yeah, white woman. I still want to have that conversation at some point. I don't know if the two of us are the ones to have it. But Agreed. I, I think we need to have that conversation. Unsubstantiated. Let's talk about what that term means in this context, because I think there's a lot, there's some ambiguity here that's going to continue to loom because I doubt that everybody listening and all of those students and everybody out there read this 96 page report. So I, I pulled just like one small excerpt Uh, where the investigators are describing the logic that they came to. Because what they did was they interviewed Mary Catherine Brooks Fleming. They interviewed several of her associates. They asked her for a timeline of the allegations. They looked into this timeline. They tried to corroborate it with other evidence. They reached out to a long list of uh, organizations that provide services to uh, undocumented folks mm. in our community. Because that was an element of this story. Yeah, like these 62 people that she alleged were sexually assaulted, 61 of them, she said, were DACA dreamers. Um, so 
what these investigators did was they went and talked to a bunch of organizations that s provide services to that community and none of them had heard anything about this. So it's, it's not, it's, there's no proof that it didn't happen, but it's also, I mean, if she made it, it all up, there wouldn't be proof any either way. Right. So there's no way to like prove this negative. Um, so they resorted to stuff like this, this, this excerpt that I wanted to read, just like a little bit of logic here about the 62 alleged victims. So they're saying it's an objectively implausible allegation. The first reason is the sheer number of alleged victims over a very short time frame. Reporter one, which is Mary Catherine Brooks, Brooks Fleming, said that 50 of the 62 alleged victims described historic mistreatment to her, either directly or secondhand. Even so, this leaves 12 alleged rape victims by a single perpetrator over 64 days. This means that approximately every five days, Director Anderson would have had to select a new victim, build trust, find a new way to be alone with them, and commit a rape. Mm. This is from the report directly. This is directly from the report. Yeah. I mean, the it's implausible. Yes, I was going to say the plausibility of this is just, it's ridiculous. And I think that's part of the frustration that I would feel if I was Tay, that folks are just taking this and running with it. Like, it doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense. It's just not, like, I don't, how? How? Yeah. Also, he's like, he's a very visible person. I, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work and time to do low-key secretly. I mean, I just, it just, it's not, it doesn't add up. I'm sorry. It doesn't. It, it doesn't add up. Mary Catherine Brooks Fleming, highly suspect. Yeah. And that's been part of the problem, I think, with the media coverage or the criticism I've seen in, in sort of online, in the world of media against ourselves as media mm -hmm. people is like, how are we covering this? Why are we not vetting this person? If we did vet them, did it really yield enough information for us to take her seriously and publish these claims? Like, I'm not I'm not pointing fingers at any reporters who have done work on this because I know that it's a complicated story. It's just questionable, like because unfortunately when you publish information like this then the wrong people tend to take it and run with it i mean i've just seen really nasty things said about tay online um that are not true that's the other yeah. part it's like this investigation five month long investigation regardless of whether you feel that dps should have spent a hundred thousand dollars investigating someone for five months they did and it proved mm -hmm that these most serious claims were unsubstantiated. And I don't think he's getting a fair shake there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, a note on that money, that $100,000. I was thinking about this last week. No one in the local media was doing this investigation. None. The Denver Post, like CPR, no one made this investment to figure out what happened. So somebody's got to pay for reporting. Yeah. And it turned out in this case, it was DPS. And we got this very thorough report which I recommend everybody read. It's a really interesting document. It cites Roxanne Gay. That's cool. Yeah. No, it's definitely an interesting, it's an interesting read to see how the process unfolded. All right. We should probably wrap up here with Tay and uh, just a note on his future, because this was uh, another piece from his speech on Monday evening. He said that uh, he has two years left in his term on the school board and what he wants to do with it uh, following a conversation with the new superintendent, Alex Marrero, is go on a listening tour and speak and meet with small groups of DPS students in different parts of the city and try to rebuild trust with the community. 
Bree, is that restorative justice? What does that sound like to you? I think it sounds like Tay is trying to do the best he can or the right thing. I don't know how students are going to react to interacting with this person that they feel is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to a lighter topic. Yeah. We, uh, we had David Sirota on the show earlier this week to talk about Southeast Denver, Zadie's, the Jewish community of Virginia Vale and Hilltop. Bree, you related to him over the... You related to him over this. This is where you grew up. Uh, Of course, there has been another story in the neighborhood we have to talk about. I know you've got feelings about it. The old Kmart at Monaco and Evans. Yes. Finally got torn down this week. Yeah, my Kmart. (laughs) My Kmart growing up. It's watching it deteriorate over the last decade and a half has been really heartbreaking in the sense that like, I have very vivid, warm memories of going to that Kmart with my cousins who live up the street Mm. and just shopping and, you know, having Slurpee or no, what are they called? What are the, oh, sorry. Kmart used to have slush puppies. That's important. It is. Slush puppies are very different (laughs) from Slurpees. We'd get slush puppies. I bought my jelly shoes there. I bought all my summer, you know, swimsuits and stuff. Um, I actually texted my cousin Sam last night. We went to uh, high school together and I was like, didn't you work mm-hmm. at that Kmart? And he was like, oh, absolutely. I worked at the Kmart. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and it just kind of reminds me of the small town nature that Denver used to have a little bit more like 20 years ago mm. when you went to school with your cousins. I mean, some people still do, but not everybody lives in the neighborhood with their their families anymore. And so, you know, I went to school with my cousins. I hung out with them. And that was like a spot we hung out when I was a tween was Kmart. <laughs> So it was bittersweet to see it um, being demolished. But honestly, thank God. It has been a retail black hole in that neighborhood. A parking lot, hell. Just a giant empty parking lot for over a decade. Yeah. I uh, listeners, I don't probably are, know this. I don't know. I mean, but I also live in the neighborhood, like a five minute drive up the road, and so I never knew the Kmart when it was open. We moved in after it closed. So to me, it's just always been this huge sea of parking lot, and I kind of, I kind of like it. Like I got my own memories of that place now. They they did COVID testing there. I remember getting the swab stuck up my nose. They have a plant sale that happens in that yes. parking lot. Christmas trees are sold every year there. There you go. I had this like long term like pie in the sky dream of uh, of like making an ice rink. <laughs> It's so big and I mean, flat. Like I would love to be skating out there. That would be so so nice. But nothing like that ever happened. That's the bummer part. Is like the, the rest of the time yeah. the community was stuck with this giant, ugly, dumb half. So what happened was in part we could talk about this mm-hmm. from the. I'm like a retail history person, and uh, Sears bought Kmart over a decade ago. And then um, the sort of hedge fund owner of Sears and Kmart intentionally bombed out all of the retail spaces. Like there's something to do with bankruptcy or there's something to do with not making profits will actually make you profit. So they were just sitting on this half dead Kmart while it was open for a while. It was super depressing if you went into a Kmart in the last five years. It was like Mm. the waiting room to hell. It was terrible. And then (laughs) I have like a very distinct memory of going to a Kmart, a different one a couple of years ago. But anyway, um, and then the other issue with this 
with this building in particular was that Sears had a 99-year lease on it with the landlord. And they were paying, mm. I think, $400,000 either, I want to say a year or a month. Those are two very different things. Anyway, they were still paying their- Both too much. Yeah. They were They were still paying the the lease for it to sit there. Mm. So the landlord really had no incentive, quote unquote incentive to do anything with it. Um, and this to mm. me is uh, where, when we look at real estate, there's some things about real estate that are quote unquote normal that totally shouldn't be legal. And this is one of those. So this community where you live, Paul, had to sit mm. with this abandoned Kmart for years because it was being paid for? Like, no, I don't think so. So credit to, uh, Councilperson Kendra Black, who really got on this issue, started working on it, really pushed for a sale. And luckily, the landlord sold. And now it's going to be developed. Yeah, they're developing it into into housing, which, you know. We need. I think that's great. This neighborhood could use more young people, especially. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. I hope students move in there. Because I think there's a bus that runs up and down Evans. Seems yep. like it would make sense for DU students. Oh, yeah. That's a great point. It would just be so nice to have something on that corner that wasn't an empty, barren sea of parking lots and a sad building. You know? Yeah. You know what I hope they don't change, though? What? Is uh, Winchell's. Oh, the Winchell's. There's a the Winchell's, Winchell's is on actually on the actual corner there. <sighs> and I hope it stays forever. <laughs> That Winchell's got me through the pandemic. Oh, my God. So nice to walk over there in the morning. They did not wear masks, by the way. <laughs> they were not They were not on board. But you braved it anyway for a donut, Paul. Apple fritter. That's my go-to. You go to a donut place and get apple? I always wondered who gets apple fritters, and now I know. It's you. That's all for today. That's all for the week on CityCast Denver. Thanks for listening. Thanks for spending your time with us. I still want to hear your breakfast burrito hot takes, especially vegetarian recommendations. We haven't got a lot of vegetarian-specific breakfast burrito tips. Please call our voicemail line and let us know. That number is 720-500-5418. You can call all weekend. Leave us a voicemail about your favorite vegetarian breakfast burrito. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Alexander McMahon, and Natalie Rivera. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies, with me today, is our host. Our music is by Los Mocachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, follow us on Twitter at CityCastDenver, and tell a friend about us the next time you see him. You can sign up for that daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See y'all on Monday. I know, it's like, these moments make me feel like we're not just on a Zoom meeting, that we're actually, like, <laughs> interacting with each other as coworkers and people. <laughs>